Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of The Neil Haley Show and also Freedom From Addiction on Lipson, Truth Just Below the Surface, and all my syndicated channels and Winston syndicated channels. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? International breaking news you're bringing us today. Yeah, Neil, you know, I try to research and find the truth that the public needs to know which is just below the surface, but which they may never find out about because of the agenda that uh, the newscasters and other people in government uh, want to push. So we've got something new for you today. It's gonna to be terrifically exciting. We're going to talk about in intestinal inoculation versus vaccination. And, um, this, this is something that you've never heard of before. This is an exclusive worldwide broadcast. And um, our guest today is Dr. Stephen Mark Hayden. He's a medical doctor in which we have several things in common. Neither of us graduated from high school. We went to college early. We both graduated from a class A United States medical school. In this particular case, the University of Alabama School of Medicine. I graduated in 1972, and Mark graduated in 1986. Mark graduated when he was 24 years old, and I graduated when I was 23 years old. We're both born-again Christians. We both have a purpose in life, and we know what that purpose is. We both wanted to be scientists and inventors and make a difference in the world. And we have both received one or more United States medical patents. Mark's childhood was influenced by several things. One was his mother's death from a malignant melanoma when he was 11 years old. He learned what death and disease were like by watching his mother die slowly and painfully. A second influence was his distrust of government because of his father's and uncle's relationship to the CIA. As a child, he learned that government will often hide the truth. He learned that it's okay if you're not like everybody else, which he wasn't. He learned that others have different beliefs on religion and truth. He learned he must decide what he would believe about religion, but not impose that on others. Um, Mark's websites are www.antivirusair.com and www.digestivecovid.com. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Oh, you and I have agreed to a series of interviews. I don't know how long the series will be, but it's going to talk about significant medical problems in the United States today, and that is the Corona-19 pandemic and what to do about it. Now, in this initial podcast, part one, we will talk about your childhood education, scientific experiences, and define what you have learned about gastrointestinal 
inoculation and uh, several other concepts uh, relating to COVID-19. So let's get started, Mark. Uh, tell us about your childhood education and scientific experience. You are a certified uh, urgent care specialist and a medical doctor. Yes. You know, first of all, I was very blessed to be born in the United States. My father had been, retired as a major in the Air Force, and he was a, a patriotic person. One of the most painful things I ever experienced was seeing my mother die. And at, there was a point in her life she had chemo for like three years when she had malignant melanoma and she had radiation. She lost down to like 85 pounds. And as a young boy, I saw her give up hope. And that profoundly affected me because I saw her literally waste away and slowly die in front of my eyes. And at some point, she actually gave up and accepted that she wasn't going to make it. And that affected me and made me want to make every day count because we don't live forever. None of us do. All of us have a time to go. And for each of us, we have to make the most use of our time. Now, when COVID came along, I was not I was good at having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with patients. I could hold their hand. I could smile at them. I could be personal. When the COVID epidemic happened, suddenly there was all this fear that I would inhale something that I could not even see. I was worried that with every breath I took, it could be contaminated. And that really interfered a lot in my relationship with people, with patients. It made it very uncomfortable. I was a big advocate for using ionized air. And I, I had a background to where I look at a lot of international media. Uh, one of my websites is Antivirus Air. And it discusses ionization and aerosol of the virus. Well, in just the last few weeks, the CDC has finally admitted there are aerosol. My website said that months ago at Antivirus Air. These things were not admitted up front, even though there was very strong evidence that it could be aerosolized all the way back in January and February, when it was spread in super spreader events over in Korea. So the real scientific community has known a long time, probably at least eight, nine, 10 months, that aerosol spread does occur. I understand that they wanted people to wear masks. That's obvious. So they didn't tell people it would aerosol spread because they didn't want to discourage people from wearing their mask. Now, the government can decide what,
they want people to know. And I get that. If we remember in history, the government decided that we wouldn't know about the atom bomb until it was actually dropped on Japanese people, even though they've been working on it for years. So it should come as no surprise to us that people inside government know a lot more about coronavirus than they're letting us know. How could, what's, what would be the first question? I don't want to go off on a tangent and I'm interested in, in whatever y'all would like to ask me about. So. Okay. So your education was. You My education was I got a um, medical degree from the university of Alabama. When I went to med school, I wanted to really be a scientist. I really didn't want to practice medicine. I wanted to primarily make a difference in the scientific community. So one of the first things I did was to pay for research equipment. I went and started in the ER in 19, I think it was 1988. And I started working in the ER and I have worked off and on for almost 30 years in the emergency room. So I used my medical practice to pay for my research projects. And over the years, I've had some very interesting research projects and multiple patents in multiple fields. Now, I had done a project, I had done two projects that were somewhat related to COVID. Let me explain those connections. I did a project with ultrasound and spores where I was sterilizing spores. And in that project, we would separate the spores so that heat could be better effectively applied. I actually sold a piece of research equipment to Tropicana. Um, but I came to understand about sterilization of spores and how, how things can be that technology can be used to disperse pathogens. So when I was on the internet early in January, and I heard about how one woman spread it to literally of hundreds of people at one time in one church meeting, I knew from that report that the aerosol spread had occurred over there in South Korea and that was in probably early Jan in January or early February. And so it was spreading as an aerosol. And it was anybody who knew how pathogens are spread would have looked at that event. And they would have known that that was aerosol spread. That argument and that debate went on for all, until two weeks ago. But the truth was always there. They just wanted to ignore it because they wanted to force people to wear a face mask. Now, even knowing that aerosol spread does occur, I will wear a face mask when I go out to Home Depot, or when I go out to, if I go out to Lowe's and everybody else is, if I wanna be a team player, a lot of times I wear a face mask just so I can be one of the guys, one of the team but it doesn't mean that that face mask, that I even believe that that face mask is necessarily protecting me. I'm sure it protects me to some small degree, but 
it's just not realistic to think that with billions and trillions of virus in the environment that you're going to be able to avoid it. It's, it's unavoidable. This recent infection at the White House, if the White House cannot protect itself with its budget, what chance does the common man have? It, it should be fairly obvious that Americans are going to be exposed. They will be exposed, and many have been exposed. Now, we know that at least 7 million people have positive PCR tests. We, we don't know the exact number that have had exposure. So that exposure number might be 30 million. It might be 50 million. We might have a hundred million Americans that have had five or 10 virus on their food or five or 10,000 virus on their food when they ate it. We don't know. So if you're trying to talk about a case fatality rate, what is a case? Is a case only when I get a positive PCR? We have people in this community who are listening to this broadcast. Are you going to say, if you get positive and you're positive in your mouth, if you chose not to get tested, sooner or later, your mouth will clear it out 99% of the time. And you will not even appear as a case, even though it was in your mouth. And if you had been tested at the right time, it would have been positive. So the actual number of cases is probably three to five times at least what we're being told. And, uh, okay, so um, let's see. I, I think we'll go now to um, to say that you have a medical patent on inoculating the digestive tract with yes. COVID virus, and we're going to talk about that more in detail in our part two of this discussion, which will be next week. So everybody that's listening to this to find out the actual details need to come back next week and subscribe to the podcast so that you know when we're going to put, be putting this terrifically important information up. I have and, a question. Yeah, I have a question real quick, Wim. Uh, okay. Stephen, so basically you really have researched this since the pandemic's come and have looked at specifically what, how it's really being spread in so many aspects, getting up to this point now where you're creating a patent for some, a product that's going to help hopefully uh, end the coronavirus or help decrease the coronavirus from looking at the whole world or you're looking just in the United States. Uh, well, yeah, I, I applied for this as a U.S. patent and uh, Neil, one of the things that really motivates you to study is encountering a virus that is potentially make, make me very, very sick and is associated with death. So there's nothing like motivating me to study an issue as much as anticipation that I was going to do inoculation on myself. So literally for months, I studied everything that I could get on the internet, everything. 
because I was anticipating inoculating myself. So there's, it's kind of like having, you ever heard of the skin in the game? Well, right. Yeah. I did not want, I didn't want to botch it up because if you look at the history of inoculation, inoculation, when smallpox was around, smallpox had a death rate of about 30%. Now imagine that, that death rate with smallpox was 30 times at least higher than what COVID is. They had inoculation back then, and there were deaths associated with inoculation, but it was only about 5% or, or, or less of the death rate compared to uh, getting it smallpox accidentally. Right now, we have an undetermined rate, death rate, and sickness rate with COVID in the communities. And people want to know how they can protect themselves. I understand that. But, what, but inoculation has always existed as an alternative before there is safe vaccination available. And, and that is, that's what history shows us with smallpox. So it was a logical way to investigate and a logical way to proceed. Okay, so um, Mark, one of your um, doctors that's uh, an emergency room physician in Troy, Alabama, his name is Richard Schlomer. Did I pronounce that last name right? Yes. Okay. Uh, your colleague said that while we wait for a safe vaccine, which will stimulate the immune response, and we're told that a vaccine will take nine to 18 months to be available, and that investigation needs to be done to determine whether there is a more rapid way to establish COVID immunity. He states that you have an innovative idea that might offer a safe method to provide immunization now. So my question is, how did, how did you um, get involved with being the first physician in the world to inoculate yourself with live COVID virus? Here's how that happens. One of the things that physicians can do is just become automatons to just spit out whatever the CDC or FDA says. Physicians are supposed to be thinkers. A lot of the smartest people in your community were physicians. But physicians, a lot of time in their entire practice, will never have a new patent. They'll never do anything unique. What they will do is only practice the standard of care. And the standard of care will be determined by the profession. And the profession of medicine will be run by the people with the money who want to make the rules. So unfortunately, many physicians will go through their entire life not doing anything unique in medicine, even though they were some of the smartest people in their class. And the way I got involved in it was I saw an article that said that COVID, the coronavirus, is both a respiratory as well as GI virus. And we know from just community experience 
that it infects people's intestinal tract. Some people get severe symptoms. They get repeated bouts of nausea and vomiting. But it's very often that people get just mild symptoms or no GI symptoms. And yet you can still culture it out in their stool when, if you can get the PCR in their stool, when they've had few or no symptoms. So if you look at me in particular, I was able to grow it in my intestinal tract with only one mildly loose stool. That's all I had. No fever, no chills, no nausea and vomiting. And guess what? That may be happening across America. So we have listeners and they are around people where they're exposed to, to SARS-CoV-2. Let's just call it the COVID virus. And we'll just call it COVID. They're exposed to people with COVID. Are they, is their GI tract getting exposed to COVID when they're eating food from takeout? Yes. And so really what is going on is we're exposing our GI tracts all the time. And that giving, that's giving us our intestinal, our intestines, the opportunity to develop a defense. So I got into this primarily because I had freedom of thought, freedom to think. We all need, and it's not just about COVID. We need to analyze issues for ourselves. We don't need the government to, to decide what is good science. We're smart people. Your listeners are smart people. They should be able to make up their own decisions about their health and their life. You know, and we forget that we are thinking people. We should be able to, exa to examine the evidence for ourselves, whether it's about face masks or aerosols or anything else. We're thinkers. And through discussion and dialogue, hey, we can come up with solutions. Well, we're going to get into this uh, starting next week on part two for the specifics. But I just wanted to bring up two, and it's not major points, but I heard the other day that the president uh, was taking uh, famotidine, otherwise known as Pepsid, which is over the counter. Anybody can get it at the drugstore, 80 milligrams three times a day as one of the medications he was using to treat his COVID infection. Now, can you give us a fairly brief, uh, but adequate discussion on how uh, Pepsid would help uh, a person with this COVID problem? Absolutely. Pepsid or famotidine is probably one of the safest medicines you can take. Aspirin actually can give you an ulcer if you take too much of it or you have certain proclivities, but aspirin is generally very safe and people take it for years. Pepsid can be gotten over the counter. You don't need a doctor's prescription. When, let's look for a minute at the role of stomach acid. Viruses are in, in the room in which your listener is. There are viruses in that room. Is it, hundreds, thousands, millions, viruses are all over the place. And when we eat, a lot of times they're going to be on the food. They go down to our stomach and our stomach acid, it helps dissolve, it helps to kill 
the virus. However, so stomach acid helps kill the virus, but then the, the president takes something that, stop, that reduces acid. That doesn't seem to make sense until you think about it. When he took Pepsi, he reduced his stomach acid to the point that more virus reached his small intestine. In a way, the healing process in the immune system began to accelerate because the virus passed through his stomach and began to reach his small intestine. So immunity comes about when the virus reaches the small intestine. And that immune process is actually helped by Pepsi because more virus passes through the stomach and reaches the small intestine. So is Pepsi a wonderful idea? If you know that you have COVID, yes. So if you're positive for COVID and you know that you've got the COVID virus on your tongue or your nose, do a, from a rapid test or from a PCR test, should, is it a good idea that you be on Pepsi? Yes, it's an excellent idea. Now, I'm going to put in some limitations on that. Some of the local communities are running out of over-the-counter famotidine. If you're just 20 years old, you're in such a low-risk category, why even go out and get the Pepsi? That may be save it for your granddaddy or your parents that are in their 50s and 60s. But is Pepsi an excellent idea? Absolutely. Now, here's something that you can do today that I would definitely recommend. It turns out that even though that Pepsi or famotidine is associated with good outcomes, Prilosec is actually associated with bad outcomes during a COVID epidemic. Wow. Yes. And now that many of the listeners out there are going to be on Prilosec or Protonics or what's called protein pump inhibitors. Let me say something good about that for the manufacturers of these. These are great drugs when you have peptic ulcers, an acute peptic ulcer. And in fact, when proton pump inhibitors came around, they helped protect from very serious peptic ulcer disease. They were part of that treatment protocol. However, during a pandemic, if you get COVID on your tongue and you're taking Pepsid, I mean, and you're taking Prilosec, a proton pump inhibitor, that's not a good idea because that's associated with a like twofold risk of death in some Chinese studies. And here can be some of the reasons for it. Originally, our stomachs are great at digesting protein. Remember proteins on all the food we eat? And in fact, the FDA even tells you how much protein is in each serving of food. And that's great. But remember that the that when we eat the virus, if we eat a bunch of protein with it, that protein that is undigested, undigested protein may go down to the small bowel. And that, that undigested protein may affect how the immune system processes that virus. That virus, when it's in your small intestine, has to enter your small bowel cells 
And when it enters those cells, it, it can carry with it undigested proteins. And it's very possible, it's likely, that those undigested proteins actually are associated with an impaired immune response. Now, if you look, look at the statistics on COVID. And I'll tell you how to for lay people. Thin women and thin men do far better than obese women or obese men. And people that binge eat protein will do worse. Now, that might seem a mystery. And in fact, if you ask, call up the CDC. Ask the guys, the experts at the CDC, hey, how come obese men do worse? And they will say, we don't know. But I have an explanation for you. Obesity is associated with overeating. Now, in full disclosure, I overeat myself. When I go on Thanksgiving, I really overeat. And I'm trying to lose 20 pounds. I'm not at my ideal body weight. I wish I was. So I sympathize with people that have been on diets for 20 years because I've been trying to lose weight for 20 years. But the healthier somebody is on their waist size, on their eating habits, the more likely they are to have less disease and less mortality or less death. So if you're on a, in an area where you're exposed to COVID, eat in moderation, take your Pepsid, don't take Prilosec or Protonics, and, and practice eating like a bird. We know publicly that about 20 people were infected at the White House. If you check on those people at the White House, here's what you'll find. The skinny women who eat like a bird, the skinny men that eat with moderation, they will have much milder disease than obese men. But the people that are having this most severe disease, the strongest factor is obesity. And so that is a huge issue in who gets sick and who doesn't. So this is part of a lifestyle disease. Now, in medicine, we have all sorts of lifestyle disease, obesity, smoking, and doctors don't become millionaires by recommending healthy lifestyles. But it's healthy lifestyles that are really make the difference in our lives about our quality of life. And that's what we need to pursue. So, you know, is, is Pepsi a wonderful idea? Yes. Especially for those who are older than 60 years old. We know that most of the death rate is around 80. If I'm just 30, do I want to save that Pepsi or Famotidine for my grandfather or my parents? That's the right thing to do, unless they have plenty. And it, if you're young, you need to share your Pepsi with older people that are at higher risk. But you can begin to understand how Pepsi works. And Pepsi would not work unless more virus was actually passing from their stomach into their small intestine in certain cases. 
So that's how the Pepsid works. Okay, uh, Mark, we're running uh, toward the end of the program. I've got one other question, and uh, if you could give me a, a quick answer. Um, the president also used melatonin as part of his treatment regimen. And can you come up with any ideas why melatonin, uh, a hormone uh, that causes uh, the sleep uh, system to, to change, uh, would be something that he would be recommending? Well, you know, for myself, I use a sleep monitor every night. You can get those wristwatches where you monitor your sleep and you look at deep sleep, uh, light sleep, REM sleep. I think those are great ideas. And I personally, I'm always trying to improve my sleep pattern. And people that sleep better are, have, that has an effect on the immune system. Now, melatonin is very well known to be related to sleep cycles. And it's likely that sleep cycles affect how well your natural immune response is. Now, I haven't studied that issue in detail, so I am in no way an expert on melatonin because I just don't have the background on that. That is not something that, if you talk to me about digestive COVID, I would understand that much. You could look at, I can explain to you why, for instance, why is vitamin D associated okay. with good outcomes? Because vitamin D is absorbed through the small intestine. It's part of intestinal health. So the higher your natural levels of vitamin D, the, the better intestinal health you likely have. Okay, so, yeah. We'll get on to vitamin D and other things in our next program. We're going to wrap this one up. And uh, would you just tell the people that are listening how to get in touch with you, how you would prefer for them to get in touch with you if they want your expertise on this matter? We have a website, Antivirus Air, LLC. If you contact that website, we'll be glad to try to get back and respond to you. There's a lot of interesting issues here and we'd be glad to talk in more detail. A lot of, I don't want to bore your listeners with a lot of technical details, and, and yet I do want to be thorough and fair, and I appreciate the chance to talk to y'all. That website, you said LLC, is that in the... No, that is not, no, it's Antivirus Air, anti-v-i-r-u-s air.com. All right, wow, I tell you, great information, something that is breaking news and look forward to part two uh, next week when really uh, great information. Yeah. Uh, Neil, let me say that uh, the people that are listening to this show, not only should they make it go viral and tell all their friends uh, about my podcast, which they can get to with their telephone or their computer by going to www freedomfromaddiction.libson.com, spelling Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N, no spaces, no capitals. It'll take you right now, as soon as we put this one up, it'll take you to that one, and you can scroll back and see over 200 different programs. So subscribe to it, get the latest uh, truth just below the surface, and uh, Tell all your friends and neighbors.
Thanks again. Uh, great information. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Neil. All right, guys, that was the Freedom From Addiction Neil Haley Show. Take care, everyone. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rob Roselli Show, and I'm excited to welcome to the program Rob Roselli. Rob, how are you? We've been talking evolution uh, the last couple of weeks and episodes, and what, which I was really surprised about was the fact of the matter when you talk about, really, if you believe in evolution, you're willing to do anything, anytime, anywhere, that there's really no uh, moral compass at all. Well, no, that's exactly correct, and, and, that, and that's what evolution does by eliminating. And this is this is really the the point of evolution by eliminating God um, and taking him out and replacing him with so-called science, as evolutionists have done. Then, then out with that goes any kind of morality or any kind of rules. And this is why, in that vacuum, and, and we've seen this in history, you get people like Mao and Pol Pot, Stalin, okay, Hitler. Remember the remember the subtitle of, of Darwin's book, The Preservation of the Favored Races and the Struggle for Life. So that's really not science. That's what really that's institutional racism, if if I've ever heard it. So they've they've taken this, they've created this morality vacuum with evolution is, is really what it is. And again, it's not about the science as we've discussed on the last several shows, you know, all the laws of science that it contradicts. So it's really it's emblematic of my favorite movie, John Carpenter's They Live. It's just one big lie is what it all boils down to. To call it science is, is really a misnomer. And I know people may not agree with that, but, you know, again, on my website, boxofsunglasses.com, there's six hours worth of evolution debates. or There's three episodes and people can listen for themselves and, and, trying to get a scientific answer out of the evolutionists was basically impossible. And what I concluded at the end of those debates is I said, look, you can take any substance, you can take anything, you can take the computer on your desk, you can take any substance and just basically say it'll just randomly come to life. And that's the law of biogenesis, which is 
it's just ridiculous on its face, but that's what evolutionists are saying is that we all came from this prebiotic or some kind of prehistoric exactly. soup. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and lifeless soup, and, and which directly contradicts the law of biogenesis. But you don't even need a scientific law for that. You just need common sense. Common sense is saying, you know, my computer is never going to just jump up and come to life or or anything or that anything in my refrigerator is just you know bacteria and things like that you know exactly yeah. good stuff goes sour but no, that's not what i'm saying but yeah. just those microorganisms already exist but i'm just saying just just take any substance you know take take your desk your desk suddenly come to life i mean it sounds ridiculous on its face but that's exactly what when it boils down to that's exactly what evolutionists are saying so again it's not about the science but what it has done it's eliminated the respect for life and of course in this country it led to things like the american eugenics society margaret sanger who was basically a pen pal of adolf hitler and things like planned parenthood and right. abortion and and dr kurt you know gosnell who we talked about on the last show who was basically um murdering live babies i mean viable babies that were born alive he was he was breaking their necks and this sort of thing and he was a real sicko but he never really got punished because the planned parenthood lobby in this country is so powerful along with its friends in the media they didn't really report on it but that's really what was going on and that's going on in this country so this is this is where we are i mean with evolution and, and that, that basically I guess that's it in a nutshell. No pun intended. Is is where we are as a society and as a nation. And of course, you can't teach the Ten Commandments because that would violate separation of church and state. But here come the evolutionists, which is really, I, I guess, another way of putting all this is saying evolution really is a religion. And the reason I say that is because it's based on the assumption that that God doesn't exist right okay and he can't be a creator so therefore we have to come up with another another reason another explanation of why we all why we're all here and how we all got here and again that's just some kind of biotic soup right something yeah. that we all just evolved from which is patently ridiculous but anyway so I'll conclude with that, and and again, where it's lit, where it's all led, and don't forget on the website we have God's simple salvation plan that people can read and at least get started in their in their journey of Christianity. Okay, I'm not saying that's to be all end all, but it's puts a lot. I put a lot of verses in there and, and simplicity of it all. Not, not necessarily easy. I'm not saying that. Even right. Different. Right. But once you accept, you know, Jesus Christ as your Savior, and, and that's basically all it is. There's, there's no real um, procedures to it, and, and all this sort of thing, and you know, so-called religions, and you know, not to bash anybody, with, you know, say that the Catholic, going off subject now, but you know, all their procedures and stuff. All that, all that's not necessary anymore. But that's the point of that's of that link but anyway right exactly and we're in this time we're in a very tough time uh with the election coming up yeah. and all the craziness and chaos and how yeah, light, yeah, life just, is really being part of the election uh process yeah, and our freedoms that, yeah. 
you're seeing that lack of morality being coming out. I mean, with all this craziness that's been going on with evolution. I mean, it's just a byproduct of it. I mean, this lack of morality and respect for human life. And, and we're seeing it, not that an election is not important, but people have basically made politics and environmentalism and this sort of thing. They've made it their religion because they've taken legitimate religion out, out of the schools. And this is the byproduct of, you know, almost 100 years of evolution education. Exactly. All right. So BoxSunglasses.com, Rob. Uh, people can go catch up all the different episodes by looking at your Twitter page at Robert Selly on Twitter and really be able to see specifically enough uh, this case for evolution and uh, other topics like this that are on your website. We're going to discuss in very bite-sized portions and learn from them and have discussions and reach out and check you out, Rob. So I appreciate you coming by again. All right, and next time maybe we'll get into the Federal Reserve System. We'll start getting into that whole scam. Which oh, is yeah. Just a We're going to have to. We're going to have to now, especially with what could happen uh, after the election. So thanks again for calling, Rob. Sure. All, right. All right. Okay, guys, that was the Robert Sully Show, everybody. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity Segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program Tierra Scobie. And Tierra is with Two Hearts. How are you, Tierra? And thanks for calling. Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I, I was able to learn a lot about the film a couple months ago and just the, about this whole love story and the process to learn about that love story. So kind of take us down the path of who your character is. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Two Hearts, you know, follows two couples. Um, I play Sam in one of the couples who's in a relationship with Chris. They meet in college, um, and it starts off as a very young, very, you know, fresh love, them kind of navigating life in the world together, and then through, but, yeah, it's a, it's a really amazing character to play. She's full of so much life and love, and I think being able to tell her story um, and honor what, you know, this woman went through and how it, this relationship changed the course of her life is was a really amazing experience for me. And that's probably why, again, in, in the conversation that of your character is that she went through a lot, but you really can't see, say how much she's gone through till you see the film and that's okay. But I mean, in a lot of ways, preparing yourself for this role, how did you prepare? I, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those roles that's a bit hard to prepare for. And I think what I really did was I trusted the writing and I trusted the people I was working with. And for me, more than anything, I just really put myself in the shoes of these people and what they went through because this happened to them and this was their life. And I wanted to honor that and do it justice. So I just, you know, I tried as hard as I could to imagine what it would be like for me if I, if I was really in Sam's shoes. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And that's in the process and understanding specifically life and what life's about and love. And and in a way, you've not had a character like this, have you, in your career? Um, No, no. I feel like most recently my role on Dirty John was maybe... It was one of the other times I played a real life character and, and, and told the story of something that happened to a woman. It was also a relationship story. 
and also with an unfortunate ending. <laughs> but, you know, kind of, um, kind of different circumstances. But uh, I definitely think that, you know, playing a real character adds this levity to everything that you do. And what do you, what do you think of working with the entire cast and the, the story in general? What are your thoughts? Working with the entire cast was amazing. It was, I didn't, I, I, a majority of my stuff was with Jacob. Um, I unfortunately didn't get to work with Rada and Aiden as much um, because it was almost as if we were filming, you know, two kind of separate movies until they kind of segue and cross in the end. But um, no, it was amazing. It was, we had so much fun. We filmed most of it in Vancouver, where I'm from, which was awesome. And then we actually got to go to Hawaii and film a portion of it, which was just a very incredible experience. And as, you, as you've heard from the director and everyone, this story has been a lifelong journey to get this made, this movie. So I'm sure you're excited yeah. to see it out there, too, for the work that the entire team has put into it to finally have it finally come out uh, next week. Totally. Maybe, I mean, yeah. for us, we filmed it two years ago. So I'm I'm so excited for the world to finally see it. I feel like people are sick of me being like, it's coming. Trust me, it's coming. So now it's it's finally almost here. And I'm, I'm so excited for people to be able to go and see it. Yeah, and that, that's that's the thing. And I'm sh- and I'm sure that you're hoping that we're back to normal at one point. That you know it's good that what theaters are doing, but I can't wait till that theater experience really comes back again. I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed, right? Yes, me too. It'll happen. It 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 has to. Everything everything eventually. I feel like will settle to a new normal. But I hope that theaters and sharing experiences like that will. Um, be something that comes back into our lives. And then how much have you had in, in your challenges of this, of COVID-19 and dealing with it? How have you kind of changed as a person, specifically the way acting has changed, the way work that you thought would be happening and how interactive to be able to interact with other people. How's that changed your life? You know, it's been a real, it's been a real um, testament to patience. I think for everybody during this time, just taking it one day at a time, one step at a time through all the unknown, which I know is so hard for so many people, including myself. I think, you know, just, just finding things, you know, the day to day that bring you a little bit of happiness and, and peace through all the confusion. And for me, you know, I don't get a ton of time where both me and my sister and my parents are all in the same city, not doing anything other than like Christmas. But for us to actually have this time to spend some quality time with each other without any work or anything coming up was kind of a unique experience for us as a family. Because, you know, my sister's in the industry as well, and it's just always a whirlwind. But, it, yeah, no, it, it's, it was just about trying to practice my patience as much as I could and not get ahead of myself. That's great. And uh, best place we can connect, again, the film comes out. Uh, the second week in October, I think October 15th, is that correct? Am I right on the date for the release? I think it's the 16th. 16th, October 16th. Everyone can check out the film Two Hearts uh, by just Googling. It's all over the place, trust me. And uh, I'm looking forward to, hopefully I get the opportunity to, to see this before it comes in the theaters. I'll have to ask for sure because, again, I've heard the story, spoke to the director, learned so much about this story, and, again, 
it, you can't tell us in this interview except, hey, you love uh, Tierra's work, then you got to go and uh, check the film out. And especially with the great cast that she has and a great story. But we just can't give that story away. It's almost like a book in so many ways, right? You can't really say much or, or it spoils it. So people need to go check out the film and uh, think about love again, especially with all the challenges. So yeah. I appreciate you coming by. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Take care. See you. Bye-bye. You listen to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back. And you're welcome. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley's show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Super Bowl champion and co-host of E's Pop of the Morning and also from the Titan Games, uh, Victor Cruz. Victor, thanks for calling. How are you? No problem. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Victor. What do you think of this once you were asked to do this? I mean, were you up to the challenge to be part of the Titan Games when you first were asked? Uh, I was definitely up for the challenge when I first heard that The Rock, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, had hand-selected me. <laughs> uh, that just gave me all the power and all the motivation that I needed. Because when someone like The Rock invites you and wants you to be part of his celebrity titan uh, group, you have to, you know, acknowledge that and you just want to make sure you're proving him right and uh, and putting your best foot forward. So when I got the call, I was extremely excited to be a part of it and uh, and glad I went and had a great time. Well, absolutely. And how about for yourself, a retired NFL athlete, were you in the right shape to be able to handle this? Yeah, I was. I, you know, I, you know, although I'm retired, I still like to work out and still like to keep my body in some shape. Obviously, I had to tailor that workout just a little bit in order to get ready for a more CrossFit, more mobile, more athletic uh, type of uh, movements. You know what I mean? Flipping boxes and ladders and spinning and turning things and levers. So it's a lot different workouts uh, than I'm used to. I, obviously, being a football player. Um, but it was definitely something that I was, you know, I, I always wanted a new challenge. And obviously since retiring, uh, football hasn't been that challenge for me. So to find new athletic challenges for myself was definitely pretty fun. Well, absolutely. And it's something when you see th- certain things in this type of uh, 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 platform, you're like, wow, this is going to, again, uh, test me. And I'm going to get to see what I'm made of. And as a professional athlete and especially a competitor like yourself, this is right up your alley, wasn't it, when The Rock challenged you? 100%. It was like, man, you know, I'm done playing football, but I still want to compete. I still had that itch to compete in something, in anything. I mean, I was even, I was competing here with my daughter on, like, flipping spoons or something. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm down for the competition. So, like, the fact that I got to be, uh, you know, uh, in an athletic space again, performing, sweating, running, jumping, uh, that's what I was excited about the most, for sure. By having the other celebrity titans, uh, what do you think of those? Uh, their athletic ability—it's amazing, and really pushes you to the limit as well. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, the lineup that we had between Joe Thomas, Clarissa Shields, a two-time Olympic champion, like Tyrone Woodley—you know, like all of these people that I admire and that some of them I was friendly with—and but to be in the same competitive space with them and to compete you know, alongside of them and to get to talk to them a little bit more than what we usually do at, at your normal event or social outing, um, that was fun to really get a peek behind the curtain of these, of these athletes and how they think and how they move. Um, it's it just been a lot of fun. So uh, that's definitely one nugget I took from that entire experience 
is the conversations and time that I had with those other athletes. Well, I was talking to Claire Issa a couple weeks ago, and she basically said to me, basically, she said that even though you guys are competing against other people in the Titans that are not celebrities, you don't take them lightly, do you, in this in this competition, do you? Oh, not at all. I mean, we understand exactly what this is. And Clarissa, talk, you know, she she likes to get gain that competitive edge any way she can. So, um, you know, she's talking junk. And obviously, mentally, you're just like, you're not going to let this person. Obviously, beforehand... They don't tell you anything about who you're going up against. You don't know any of their backstory. You just see a picture of them, and you're just like, man, I'm not going to let this guy beat me or this girl beat me, and I'm going to go put my best foot forward. But we, we learned really quickly that these, these everyday superheroes are indeed that, and they are superheroes in their own right. And they have tremendous stories, and everyone needs to tune in on May 25th, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern to the Titan Games. And uh, congrats also on you as a co-host. Are you enjoying the whole thing with E's pop of the morning? Are you- absolutely. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute blast. Obviously, uh, with this quarantine, we're unable to be in the studio, but we're doing a lot of things digitally and remote and you know online. So continue to be on the lookout for us moving forward. And then we also want to thank everyone on the front lines, don't we, Victor, that are uh, take, are helping us through this Absolutely. quarantine, for sure. All the-, All the healthcare workers, everyone putting their lives on the line to help others. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you. And uh, without you, we wouldn't know where we'd be right now. So we appreciate it. Absolutely, Victor. Well, thanks for stopping by. Look forward to hearing your all the challenges you're going to go through throughout the season and uh, hope to catch up again to find out, get more feedback so we don't want to give anything away to how amazing this competition was and what you did on the competition. So, And I know the Giants fans are definitely going to be following you, especially all NFL fans as well. So thanks again for calling, Victor. Absolutely. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You listen to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Bye-bye. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today.